Welcome to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast. And today my guest is Chris Delaney, a hypnotherapist, careers advisor and NLP life coach. The founder of Employment King, Chris prides himself on supporting people to achieve all their life and career goals. Author of three books, Evolve the Mind, Influencing the Interview, and most recently, What is Your Interview Identity? Chris, you're very welcome. Sharon, thank you for having me here. What a great introduction as well. I didn't realize how much I've achieved in my life until you read it out to me. There you are. And I love that. And as I said to Chris before we came on, when I am usually reading the bios out for any of my guests, they all stand there or sit there with their mouths kind of open going, wow, that is me. To hear it all together, Chris, must mean a lot. It must have that sense of accomplishment for you. And we'll go back to your, you know, your younger days in a few moments. But now sitting here being so accomplished, sometimes we don't appreciate how far we've actually come, Chris. And hearing it then read out loud is like, oh, my God. Wow. Do you ever feel like you have imposter syndrome at times, Chris, when you hear all of that? Well, imposter syndrome is like the biggest barrier to anyone's success. It's quite interesting when you do hear that sort of bio and you think, God, that's, you know, the journey you've been on is, is quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a personal level, I just enjoy doing things, which is why I write and why I help people. But then I'll get like friends or family kind of saying, you're a published author. That's amazing. How did you do that? I could never start writing a book. Mm-hmm. But the barrier is because of imposter, imposter syndrome, we don't want to start anything because we don't want to fail. Well, I'm not bothered about failing. I'll do anything and make a million mistakes and get it wrong. Yes, I love that. And again, I think that is for most people, if we could get that into people's minds, is that just because we have these bios that we have tried and failed many times and that's how you learn. But the thing is, you never give up trying. A lot of people don't see the failures we may have had or the amount of times we've tried to do things, but we still keep going because it is, I think, a passion or a purpose built into you somewhere. Maybe we're hardwired to just keep going, even if we fall flat in our face, Chris, we'll keep getting up. We'll just brush off the knees and keep going. (laughs) So we'll go back to your younger days, Chris. And you you were diagnosed with being dyslexic or was it something that you were in school with and that nobody noticed or it was noticed earlier on or later on? How did this come about? I remember the first time I realised I was, well, at the time I thought different to the other children. So one of my friends in primary school was called Luke and he used to always spell it L-O-O-K, look instead of Luke. And the teacher used to like make a big finger out and my friends used to kind of, it became like a big joke. I remember realising that I just couldn't see words in my head. Mm. Uh, and then that led into me um, going to getting help and getting support. And then people saying you're dyslexic. But it kind of gave me like a, um, uh, like a tape recorder in the lessons to, to record myself instead of having to like write things down because of my dyslexia. Mm. But then that kind of put the spotlight on me. So all my friends in school was kind of going, why is he different? Why is he standing out? And it made me not want to use the technology at the time. Um, but yeah, it, it, I remember, I always remember that song going, you don't spell loot like that, that's look. And I, I, it just sticks in my mind. Yes, yeah. And how did, you know, obviously, and I know this even from, you know, any child at the school, they don't want to be different. And even if you're a brilliant student or a not so brilliant student, you can stand out for the wrong reasons, can't you? So it's a hard place to be for a child at the best of times, but particularly if there's something that you're noticed for. Did you feel you got bullied at school for that, Chris? Yeah, I I also had a lisp as well, so I couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't talk properly as well. And and because you're with children your own age, you know, people like say things only if it's a joke and and people kind of bully without realising the bullying. Uh, so it does affect you because you don't want to speak out in class because you know that everyone's going to laugh because you can't read the text. I remember being in English, uh, reading Romeo and Juliet, like shape, Shakespearean plays is the worst thing if you're dyslexic. And I had to stand up and read one of the pages and I was struggling just to say uh, a couple of sentences and everyone was laughing, everyone was pointing. And uh, it's really hard because you don't want to then stand out, which affects later choices in life because you, you stop being in the limelight you, yeah. you're trying to take a back seat 
What for you then, you know, looking back, I always say I look back only to see how far I've actually come. And you've come a long way when we read your bio out. But for you personally, even if you think back to those days, do you think back to you glad of the experience or you wish it was never you? I'm so glad. Yeah, you can't turn back the clock and change yourself because of the butterfly effect. Yeah. So what you always need to do is, is reflect on your past experiences and think, how can I improve? How can I develop? And like, there's no way I would have got into like coaching and hypnotherapy and writing books if, if I hadn't struggled in school because I think I, I, think I wanted to prove myself and I, I wanted to uh, add value to my life and I didn't want to end up in these what I presume was dead-end jobs when I left school because I had no qualifications. I kind of wanted to do... I always, I always had this thing inside me, like I want to do something, I want to grow what would be good and I just didn't know what that was at the time yeah and I like that and I think that's for the case for many people you know that have overcome adversity in some shape or form and they want to prove themselves and using that word and I always think to myself who are we proving ourselves to is it to the people that bullied us at school or the teachers that said we wouldn't get very far or family members or friends when in fact it's really for ourselves isn't it Chris that is spot on because when I kind of got into this world of self-help and I started learning to read and I started reading books and going on courses and I really struggled at the beginning because of my mm-hmm. dyslexia and some other things but then I kind of overcame that hurdle and got passionate about education but I was always doing it early on for other people I did want to impress my family my friends I did want to have you know a billion pounds uh, I did want to be, be known as a person who could cure any phobia but it, it took ages to overcome that. And what, what I realised is when I was focusing on what other people thought of me, I never performed that well because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do things the way I think it should be done because I was worried people would say, that's not right. Mm. But when I was able to drop that and just enjoy what I do and just do things my own way and develop in my own way, I actually became very passionate and very skilled at what I do. And it was dropping that, what the other people think of me, that gave me the leap forward. Yes, I think that the approval, waiting for the approval of others. And I always say that sometimes if you're waiting for approval from others, you might be waiting a long time. So it's, again, approving of yourself, even when you don't know everything. And I used to have this funny thing, Chris. Do you ever watch Faulty Towers? I love Faulty Towers. I love English comedy. Yeah, I love that too. And I love just, you know, the the farcicalness of everything looking perfect on the outside, but it's falling apart behind the scenes. But I love the fact of Manuel, you know, and he used to say, I know nothing, I'm from Barcelona. So I used to think to myself every morning, I used to wake up and say, I know nothing, because whatever we think we know or whatever we believe is right can change overnight because the past beliefs and patterns that I had as a child are completely different now to me as an adult. But that every morning I used to have to say that to myself, I'd have to remind myself that whatever I believe to be true back here, it can now change in an instant that I'm always learning. There's always something new to explore and a different way to do something. And I found that fascinating. So for me, it was like, that's where my excitement came from. So people say, you know, to me going, well, how do you do it? And I'll say, geez, I don't know. Every morning I just get up and I try it a different way. <laughs> yes, it's so true. I do a, a lot of hypnotherapy for people who have spider phobias. Mm-hmm. And what I always wanted to learn when I was getting into like coaching and hypnotherapy is that one technique, if I master that one technique, I can clip my fingers and cure everyone. But people have their own experiences, their own beliefs, their own filters in their mind. And what what I found early on was there's not one technique that that can support each individual person. You have to tailor things to uh, different people's situations. And you can bring that back on yourself. Like you might learn something, you might master something, but technology, artificial intelligence, uh, just the, uh, the culture that you might grow up in or you might move to will change everything about how your thought process works. So you... So the goal really is, is to enjoy developing, be a lifelong learner, just get excited. I mean, be curious about the world in general. And then you'd start living your life a little bit more, especially when you dropped um, how other people perceive you uh, by it. You kind of get rid of that and just be curious about the world. 
Yeah. And I, I really believe that I think, you know, and again, I come back to the labels, you know, you can only be identified sometimes by the labels you have out there. But we're so much more than those things as well, aren't we? We are so much more. But we're trying to encompass. I'm always saying this to people, you know, people look at a glance and they take you for what your label says. You know, that's why I love sharing people's stories here on the podcast, you know, that they might see Chris Delaney and the hero's introduction, but to listen to your story makes it so much more personable and it sees another side of Chris Delaney where people can resonate with you and they can connect you because they go, oh God, Chris sounds like me. You know, he's uh, where Chris was, I'm there now and maybe I, Chris can help me get to the next place, you know, or... Sharon gets out of the bed and thinks she's Manuel from Faulty Towers. I'll, I'll, I'll be that as well. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, three, four years ago, I'm passionate about the theatre, by the way. I love the theatre. Uh, I loved it since I was a child because one of my teachers actually uh, gave me some great advice because I was struggling with my, my list. And I had to learn these lines for a small play. And she said to me, you can't say that word, can you? And I was like, really struggling, getting dead embarrassed, like tears build up. Mm. You can't say the word, just find another word that has the same meaning and say that. And I'm thinking, oh, there's all these shortcuts that you can use to kind of, you know, help yourself. But, but anyway, I, I, a couple of years ago, I decided to write a play, a write and direct a play for a, a local fringe festival. And I got this idea and I told a couple of people and people were like, no, you, you can't, you can't write the play. Like, being, like what are you going to do? Like, you're not a, an actor, you're not a, a script writer. I thought, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'll enjoy the experience of doing it. And got excited by this play then I got a couple of actors to do like a read through they got excited by it and we all started like collaborating together and then I put it on and I put it on for two nights in a fringe festival and it sold out so both nights sold out so it was a very small theater by the way wow Chris (laughs) that is amazing it it was so good but uh, a reviewer came down to review it and it sold out and I could hear the crowd laughing every time like they heard the jokes and stuff it was like a, a humorous play and I got dead excited to uh, read this review and get it in the papers. And I thought, I'll, I'll show this to my family and my friends. And I got the review back and it was the worst review I've ever read. It said, this is the te- the most terrible play. The jokes aren't funny. The scenes don't li- link together. The costumes don't match the characters. He, he hated the play. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, that's a nice opinion. But my opinion is I enjoyed the experience. The audience was laughing at the play. It was a great collaboration with me and my friends who came together. And I loved that whole experience. And I will write another play at some point. I don't need his opinion. Even if he, he was praising me, I would have told that on and enjoyed it. And, you know, I do reflect on how to develop my skills and my experiences, but just enjoy the moment. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And the fact that you said you even just tried it, that you went out and you got so many people involved that then the audience came, it sold out. It was that's just amazing. You know, even before the reviewer comes in and says, but there's so many people that would just hold on to what the reviewer said, even though the audience laughed, even though it sold out, even though all the people that were involved loved the experience, they would still focus on the one person that said they didn't like it. Unfortunately, isn't that why a lot of people focus on the negative, the one negative comment? Yeah, well, it's very funny that you talked about Faulty Towers because that is one of the most famous UK British comedies. Uh, John Cleese went to get an award, a reward about uh, 10 years ago and someone gave him this note and it was a note from the um, head of comedy at the time when he uh, pitched Faulty Towers and the head of comedy at BBC said, this is a terrible idea, this will never work. Uh, it's, and, but someone else took it on and it became this massive, you know... Yeah. Worldwide legend. phenomenon, uh, yes. You can't let other people's opinions stop you achieving your goals. No, I love that. I think that is so important, Chris, that you've said that, you know, and for me, it's like anything. It's like you doing that play. You didn't do it really for, you know, to go worldwide, but you did it for yourself and you did it and you got the audience and they were involved and everything else. If you were a screenwriter and a director and you were doing it as you're living, it may matter a little bit more to you. Well, you understand that part of it, but you were doing it for yourself. And I think that is amazing. You know, there's that idea again of just going out and trying something. And it doesn't matter what anyone says. You enjoy doing it. And once you enjoy doing something, keep doing it. Definitely. But even in your career, I think it's so important to uh, work for a culture where the organisation is very keen on you making mistakes. So Google are great at that. They encourage mistakes. They, they used to give bonuses to people who failed. 
it was like a like a big thing like we want you to fail because you learn so much from failure yeah. and you can see this with google because what google do is create a project put loads of money in, loads of time loads of effort if it works out great like gmail or the search engine then amazing if it fails like the google glasses aren't a big thing anymore are they no. what they do then is take the learning and the technology from that product and then put it into a new product so mm -hmm. it's not like we have it works or it doesn't work it works and we develop that or it doesn't work so we'll take learning and technology in their case and then put it into something else great philosophy for life it's about trying making mistakes and then moving forward yeah and learning from it as well but using and i always say that even though we you know a lot of people say to me and this will come back to you now in careers and everything many people no more than myself would have had a past of you know different work experience and being in corporate and different things like that and, and many people and even my clients sometimes say I wasted 20 years of my life and I always say to them nothing is ever wasted no matter what education you did or did not have whatever small job part-time or full-time job careers training social aspect you know going to Toastmasters any of these things everything combined is going to help you in some way in your future endeavors. Do you believe that, Chris? I believe that totally. And it's all about the frame of reference, isn't it? When you reflect, it's all about the frame that you look on it. Did I make loads of mistakes? Should I have done something else? Or what can I learn from this? How can I develop? How can I grow? What can I take from that? So you, you, you always have a past, but you can look at it through two different uh, viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and I would love more people to look back and reflect on where they came from and but what they learned from it and not to look back and say, oh, God, I wish I never took that job or I never went on that career path. And I just say this, people look at what you did gain from it, you know, instead of look, keep looking at it in the positive, And then what can I bring with me into this next path or my next career choice? And it might be completely different to what their past career path was. It can be just like day and night. It's all about the questions that you ask yourself. So as an example, on a basic level, I could say, Sharon, how was your weekend? And you might say it was amazing or you might say it was uh, terrible. Mm. But that question leads to two potential answers. Where if I say, Sharon, what was the best thing about your weekend? Mm. You can then only answer in the positive so if you ask yourself kind of like solution focused questions, you'll start thinking in that positive mindset. So what can I learn from that? How can I grow? What should I do different next time I take on this project? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself the powerful questions and you'll have a powerful life. Yeah, I love that line. Say it again, Chris. Um, ask it, yourself it, 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 the powerful questions. Well, it wasn't even planned. Um, ask yourself powerful questions and you'll have a powerful life. I love that. That is really good. I'm writing it down. <laughs> you know what? That that was my turning point as well because when I when I was like in my twenties, I always like look back and think, oh, I'm stupid, so I can't do this, or you know, I've got no qualifications, so I'll never be able to achieve this salary expectation. I was my my um, reflection was like in these dark, horrible glasses hidden in a tunnel. And what I did is walked out that tunnel, took off the glasses, and started asking these powerful questions: What can I do? How can I develop? How can I grow? To be honest, uh, at the time when I was young, because I never believed, even when I took the glasses off, I still didn't believe I was going to get paid to help people. I was asking, how can I help people? And that took me down the route of like volunteering, which gave me skills, which made me motivated, which got me into reading, to learn more skills. And then eventually I was able to uh, get paid clients. But you have to ask yourself these powerful questions. How can I grow? How can I develop? How can I move forward? Very good. And again, you saying that, Chris, I'm sure there's many people that will resonate with it, you know, that how can I help people, you know, but I think when you start helping people, you're helping yourself also develop, you know, and you mentioned a really powerful word is volunteering, because some people have this idea that they do everything and they're going to get paid masses amount of money immediately. And I'll say it's like you're building yourself going up the ladder, you know, anywhere. Start off by gaining experience and gaining skills and a lot of the time we have to do that as a volunteer and it is the best way to learn because a lot of people won't pay you <laughs> you know if they don't think you're very good so you're learning from your clients you know as a volunteer 
And even if it's friends or neighbors or friends or friends or different work colleagues that you had saying, you know, come and help me. I'm trying to develop as well. And they'll give you honest feedback, which is brilliant. Some of it can be, you know, a little bit critical, but you'll learn from that as well, isn't it? Definitely a bit like that uh, theatre reviewer guy. Like, obviously, it was quite a critical review and most of it, I, I thought, you know, I don't need to, to think about that. I don't want it as a negative thing. But if some uh, actually very detailed, specific things that I thought, actually, that advice would have really helped the play be a different play and would have, would have worked really well. So when you get these negative feedbacks or critiques, you need to decide what should I listen to because some people are experts and you do want to listen to them. And then what things do I kind of not need to think about that kind of just leave on the side? And that's what's very important is choosing the critiques you listen to because yeah. everyone's got an opinion aren't they everyone knows the best way to do it um but you, you have to get out, go out there yourself yeah and I think also as well that we have to learn you know so as you said if somebody has been in that role or has great experience and they give us you know that feedback we'll call it feedback that we should accept it gratefully and say thank you you know but also there's, there's lots of people out there that will be naysayers but as you said, to choose, and I think that's really important as well, you choose what you're going to take and hold on to. And if you choose to hold on to the negative, well, that's your own fault. Yeah, definitely. And people are successful when they make mistakes. The guy you invented post-it notes was trying to create a, a, such a, a strong glue that you could stick a chair to a wall, sit on it, and it wouldn't fall off. And you get it so wrong that he made this weak glue that you could peel paper off. Yeah. But then came a billionaire selling post-it notes. You know, Steve Jobs started in his mum's garage, didn't he, building the computers? Um, people often make mistakes. People come from quite hard places. But find a passion, be, be a lifelong learner and a grower, and ask those strength-based questions. And you tend to follow a successful path. And, and success really should just be about joy and happiness, shouldn't it? You know, money, yeah. a big house is fantastic. But essentially, what makes us um, our best is being happy. Yeah, what makes us our best is being happy. I love that line as well, Chris. So tell me what makes Chris Delaney his best self. Two things. So one, I love the outdoors. So when I'm outdoor hiking or climbing uh, in nature, away from the city, I just feel relaxed. I feel like that's my natural place. So that's, that's my relaxation mode. Uh, mm -hmm. So I love that. And what I do, I take that relaxation and mindfulness and I then help people be successful in their lives. So I help people pass job interviews and overcome fears and anxieties. I just love it when someone's struggling and I can do something or say something and I make them into a better version of themselves. So helping people is the thing that always gives me my buzz. Lovely. And I, so it's a lovely feeling too, Chris, isn't it? When somebody comes and they are in that high state of anxiety or fear or doubt or they lack self-esteem and confidence and, you know, they might have been acting in that role. And I say that to him, it's a role, you know, so let's give you a different role. Let's now pretend that you're successful and you're confident and you love meeting people and they're going, no, I'll never be like that. And we'll say, well, just pretend it's like your play. Let's pretend we're on the stage and you be the one that is the, highly successful, confident person. And it's amazing when they think, well, it's only a role. I'm only pretending it. They're actually doing it without realizing it. Yeah, de definitely. And it's so important that because you have these beliefs, these limiting beliefs that stop you taking success. I had an engineering client recently kind of wanted to move out of that section into something else and wanted uh, a bit of a salary increase for that. And I was saying, oh, well, this, these types of careers and, you know, you're going to get 20, 30, 40, grand increase that, that's amazing as you said oh it's too it's too far it's too big a jump and it's it's too different to what i'm doing now so what we did is uh, is brought that down into two stages so i was able using some interview techniques because she was very skilled at a job to get like a 10 or 15 grand pay rise and then because she had that level of salary she thought well actually maybe i could jump up the next level another 10 or 15 so i got a, an extra uh, um, double that increase and then she was on this a massive pay increase moved into a sector that she thought she was going to be really really passionate about but that was just breaking down where someone was now where they want to go and there's kind of two or three steps they need to take to overcome their limiting beliefs mm. or hopefully you can work with people where you can just get rid of those steps because what's stopping you doing anything you want to do there's nothing stopping you apart from yourself 
in a career sense, you might need a certain qualification to enter a certain career. So if you want to be a doctor, you need to get trained to do medicine. Mm. But that's just part of that journey and that path. And if you enjoy what you're doing, you'll enjoy that journey and that path. Mm. But for other things, you can just easily think, well, I don't believe that anymore. I'm going to believe this new thing, like the actor thing, you know, I, uh, I think I'm unanxious. Well, pretend to be confident and you'll feel confident, you know. Mm. Pretend yeah. to be a millionaire and just start living like that. Like, yeah. what is the reason why you'd want to be a millionaire or you want to be a business or you want to overcome yeah. fear and phobia? What's the reason behind that? Because often what you're trying to achieve isn't that thing. It's something completely different. Yeah, Chris, that's a really powerful statement there. People say to me, you know, and I'm sure they say to you as well, and they say they want to be rich and happy. And I'll say, and, and what are you going to do when you're rich? Oh, I'll be really happy. <laughs> and I'd say, how do you know? You know, but I'd say, what would you like to do with the money? If you won a hundred grand tomorrow, what would you do with that money? And most of the time they don't know. They just think when I get rich, I'll be happy. But a lot yeah. of the times that's not the case. So I would say, well, think about what you actually would spend with the money. So we have a local lotto here and it's something like 10 or 12,000. It's just in our local community. And I never thought about, even though it's only, you know, a small sum of money compared to the big lotteries, you know, the million and five millions and the euro millions. But I thought about it the other day and I thought, well, what if I won? What would I spend that money on? Because everyone's just saying, I'd love to win the lotto. But why do you want to win it? And I think when you know what you'd like to spend the money on, then you're attracting more of it into your life and you'll believe you can get it. Do you believe that? Yeah, everyone wants to be a celebrity, they want to be a millionaire, or they want their own business or something. I don't know why people always want their own business. It's very hard working long hours of often having your own business. I often ask the question um, to people who say, I want to be a millionaire. I say, if you could be a millionaire but have the same lifestyle, so the same level of happiness you are now, compared to having uh, the same salary you're now, but for some reason your happiness increased, which one would you choose then? Mm. And it's very interesting now because people then really have to reflect is it the money or is it the happiness that I'm, that I'm actually after? And most people end up moving towards the happiness, but one or two actually have this massive focus on the money, initially have this massive focus on the money. Yeah. And I think that's maybe something. And for me, I, it kind of, it worries me a little at times that people think that by getting the money that will create their happiness, you know? So that's where I really come back to, you know, our own self-awareness and you know in ourselves like what actually creates happiness for you right now if you were never going to have money could you still be happy you know that is are you relying on one thing or another thing to create that happiness for you like you said you were in that dark place you know and you didn't believe you were good enough but your happiness came from helping others and by doing so you created happiness and you helped yourself chris yeah, and created opportunities because yeah. I was volunteering, learning skills, developing. But I had this new network, this new group of people that I'd never met before who was all also into helping others and mm. uh, you know and developing their own skills as well. So it opened a network. That network opened opportunities for me. Uh, and, th and that's what it is. When you, when you follow your passion, you start meeting like-minded people. Yes. Networking your, your, your group uh, grows. And it's, it's very interesting as well, because when I kind of got into that um, sort of volunteering sector, I was on like a really low salary and I was really struggling with money. And I remember just eating, you know, tins of beans all the time. Because <laughs> I had my first house, uh, so I was eating tins of beans, not really full, like meat. Uh, and then I became a vegetarian because of money, um, which is really interesting. So I remember at the time thinking, you know, I did want money because I felt I was on the breadline. I felt I was like mm -hmm. just one layer away from being homeless if I couldn't keep up my my payments on my mortgage and stuff like that um so so at that time I was really passionate on trying to increase my money but I, I knew that I needed to volunteer I needed to gain these skills and experiences because in a job interview you need to be talking about experiences don't you and selling yourself through what you've achieved and what you've developed uh, and that's that's one of that's one of the second reasons I got into volunteering one just because I wanted to help people with two I knew long term it could potentially lead into a career that I would be passionate about as well I think that's really, really important and great advice as well, Chris. You know, that sometimes like I volunteer quite a lot and raise a lot of money for charities. And it's something I believe I'm giving back and helping out and raising awareness. But for people to think they could volunteer 
in their particular um, line of work or expertise or what they want to train in, you know, go even going into a company and saying, you know, can I volunteer here? Young people, you know, the way they go and work experience and they say, I'd like to volunteer here for a day every week during my transition year and learn about your business, you know, and they're doing that free. Uh, I think any way that we can gain more experience, but the, another lovely and vital thing you said there is you're developing your social network. Yeah, it's so important. It's so mm. important because um, you have a number of limited opportunities. So just uh, let's just say the average person has five potential opportunities coming to him in a 12-month period. And the other thing by opportunities, most people turn down opportunities because they think they're not good enough or they're going to fail at them, where these yeah. days, I accept every opportunity and just see what happens. Yes. If you've got a network of five more people, they will also have five opportunities each. And a lot of opportunities aren't just for a single person. It's to achieve a bigger objective. So people share opportunities with like-minded people and people who have similarities to them. So by having a bigger network creates bigger opportunities. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Chris, you make so much sense, but you make it seem very simple. You know, and I'm sure there's people out there going, oh, God, how can I do that? Where can I volunteer? And I think it's about just, again, what you said is saying, what creates happiness for me? You know, and whatever it is, because, again, if you're in a, a career that you're unhappy and it's not creating happiness or joy, even though you might have the security of the financial income every week or every month. But if you're just not feeling happy in it, that maybe you could start by volunteering in something that you really believe would bring you greater happiness and that you would be helping yourself and learning more and helping others volunteer somehow and do a little bit more of that before you make that big decision. There's also evening classes, weekend training. There's so many opportunities available to us, but it's that step of pushing yourself out of that fear-based thought frame, mindset, isn't it? That Abishai, I can't do that, or it's too late for me now, or I'm too old, or, you know, there are ways, Chris. Definitely. One of the first volunteering opportunities I got ticked several of my boxes, mm -hmm. because I told you right at the beginning, one of the things that I like to do is go hiking and in, yeah. into the countryside, and then I love helping people. So when I started volunteering, I volunteered taking disabled adults on hikes, and I got volunteered, uh, volunteering into like scout groups and taking kids camping and stuff like that. So I put two of my interests, nature and helping people together and found uh, an ideal uh, volunteering opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. I was just recently helping a mother engineer, actually, um, who, who also worked to gain some skills. And the engineer was really passionate about mathematics uh, and, and supporting people. So we got her to then um, um, get paid, actually. It was, it was a paid volunteering opportunity um, to del deliver math sessions to GCSE students. Mm -hmm. So it's about looking at what what are your interests what are your passions and then going out there and finding the most suitable thing we all have this don't we when we start a job like you know i've I, I always wanted to be whatever a scientist or something and then you go to the company and you hate the job role but often it's not the job role you hate because you train and passionate about that particular job role it might be the um culture of the organization maybe they're um maybe you know top down heavy or maybe they don't let people have inventive ideas and you're this you know inventive innovative person what you have to look for in life and in your career is things that take several of your boxes that that's what makes happiness it's not just one thing you know you get a million pound you're not happy well you get a million pound and then you, you just you, keep talking there Chris. if you get a million pound and you spend money um on volunteering so you give money to different charities you you've got your, your rich tick and then you've also got you're helping other uh tick aren't you as well so look at opportunities where you're ticking several things that are important to you your values very good yeah and i think that so if somebody came to you chris now and they will start we'll maybe give two scenarios so somebody's coming to you and they're um about to leave school but they're not sure where to go next um, they've no idea about what their passions are and they're quite young and they've had no real experience. They have no part-time jobs <laughs> and they're really unsure. And there's many people like that now, isn't there? Many young people. How would you help them to have a little bit of confidence in maybe being more curious and maybe exploring their life a little bit more? 
one of the old versions of careers advice was, do you like swimming? Yes, join the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, yeah. Uh, but we, but we've, we've moved on from that, which is really yeah. good. But one of the things I do, uh, I use this great technique actually where I say, think of three significant people in your life or so people who are very important to you. So for a young person, it might be a mother, a teacher and a friend. Then I say, right, okay, write their names in a circle on three pieces of paper. And then for each one, I want you to imagine being that person. So imagine being a teacher and looking at yourself and think, what is it I like about this student? Or what do I like about my son or, or my friend? And then write down all the words that pop up and you'll write down all these positive things. So, the, you know, great attender, the, the confident or the community, you know, the communicate or whatever it is. But you do that for three people and then you highlight the common things. So if one of them says you're creative and the one says you're always thinking out the box and the one says you're innovative, you know that's like a, a skill that you have. So that's a great way to first look at your skill set from other people's perspectives. And you don't often realise how much skills you have until you do it, do that exercise. Mm. And then also look at your values, like what's important to you, like in your life, what makes you happy? What makes you get out of bed in the morning? Like, do you like to spend time on your own? Or do you like to always be with people? Where do you get your energy from? Are you like neat and tidy and organized enough to do this or is your bedroom like you know a rubbish dump but you kind of know where everything is like even like stuff like that, like what motivates you what stresses you what uh what gives you that that passion that vision that happiness so write those down so now you kind of got a list of things that are important to you and you also got a list of skills and qualities that you and other people think about yourself merging them together you can often find a particular job sector that is suitable for you there's over 2,000 different careers out there 2,000 different careers the NHS over have over 400 different types of jobs so there's so many jobs out there and what you what we don't know is that that uh, vast amount of opportunities that are out there for us we just think we can either be a policeman a doctor an administrator or a construction worker and that's it but it's 2,000 jobs out there so it's about kind of um finding out about these opportunities and this comes back to the volunteering and the networking by meeting five other people who are volunteering in the same organization you chat to them and you're like you know the, the whole job conversation always comes up what do you do for a living or where did you go to school and people are like, oh yeah well you know i do this thing or i do that thing i'm a, a deep sea fisherman you know like, oh right never heard of that tell me a little bit more about that your um world of knowledge expands with the more people you meet mm. Absolutely. And I think you learn so much. Uh, I see that from people, you know, and they'd say even if they travel to a different country and they learn about their food, or about the politics, about the cultures, it's, you know, because if we stay in the same little house and the same little village and the, we eat the same food, see the same people, we're not really learning anything new. So it's just like going on holidays. It's expanding your mind a little bit. And I think we have to do that. But for young people, think I think sometimes it's quite hard. They feel like they have to make a decision about their college choices at a young age. And a lot of them are not aware even of what their own qualities are or attributes. So I think that's a really important thing, Chris, is even, you know, someone like you going into a school and asking people to do those, you know, little questions in the circle with the three main people in their lives and getting to know. And this is where the self-awareness comes in, isn't it? It's kind of learning, well, what do I need to develop? You know, and usually when we're young, it's our confidence, isn't it? And, you know, a little bit about like all of those things that develops over time. So then we come to someone that's in their 40s, Chris, and they come to you and they've had the same career, maybe in corporate marketing or maybe an engineer, because you've mentioned that already for 20 years. But they don't have the same passion for that role. Um, they're not finding the same joy. They have a good, secure salary. They've been in the same company. There's a great pension. The people are all right. They get their holidays four times a year. They have a lovely house and a nice car, but life is a bit boring. Yeah, so so many clients come with this situation. So often your 30 to 40 year old career clients have this situation and they're basically stuck, they're financially stuck in their career. And the reason... The journey they've been on is they've left university, desperate for a job, so kind of got any job uh, in, that's relevant to their qualification. And then they started to progress well in, in that career and then got the increased salary. So they got, you know, 30, 40 grand. And yeah. when you're 21, 22, 30, 40 grand, you quite like to get a mortgage. And then as you get pay rise, you increase your mortgage payments or get a bigger house. And at some point, you, you, you find your trap because 
if you had to leave that job to get a new career, you either have to go and get a new qualification or uh, potentially take a pay cut uh, to start a new position. But you can't do that because you've got these mortgage payments, this lifestyle, these holidays, these cars, and mm. you, know, you kind of feel trapped in there. So we end up sticking with a job we don't like, making us more and more and more unhappy. And at some point, it, the uh, you know the, the straw on the camel's back is that last straw that breaks the camel's back, and they need to do something. They need to get out of that job, which is why they come for careers advice. So the first thing to note is number one: loads of jobs out there will pay you the same salary that you're on now, even though you're not in that same industry, because employers are interested in skills. They're interested in what you can bring to the organisation and new perspectives. So many companies now are getting people from different industries to come together because it has this brainstorming effect where people think out the box and find new solutions to old problems and saving organizations lots and lots of money. So don't think because you've not worked in one sector that you're gonna have to take a pay cut. Think about what you can offer to that new company and, and going with that viewpoint, you know, I'm a great person, take me and you get these skills uh, and these experiences. The second thing, if you are going to enter a job where you need certain qualifications, you can do that part time. If you're not been in education before, you can still access that student loan, can't you? Um, there's a massive um, scheme for apprentice now, so what the mm-hmm. degree level apprentice. Employers get paid to take you on to then give you like a level four, five, or six qualification, so you can go in with the skills but not the qualifications. And the employer knows he can get funding to give you those qualifications. So the whole world where you started one job at 14, got to go on a handshake when you're 55 and you stayed in that company for your whole life, has gone. There'll be um, 10% of jobs that, that you'll have in the next 10 years currently do not exist. Mm. So you'll be applying for jobs in 10 years' time that currently do not exist. That's how fast the job market is, is changing. So it's all about skills. It's all about your attitude and your work ethic. That's what employers are, are interested in. How are you going to make a difference in my organization? Very good. So that's how any of us should really think about how are we going to make a difference in life? Isn't it how are we going to make a difference in our life, in our community's life, in our country's life, in our organization's life? It's really how are we making a difference? The onus always comes back to yourself, doesn't it, Chris? Definitely. We we don't live in a world now where you can only get a job that's in that area. So you know, even in like the 70s and 80s, if you lived in Wales, you was a minor and that was kind yeah. of like guaranteed, wasn't it? We don't work like that now. You can be applying for a job that someone in America and China are also applying for because we can work remotely these days. So, so there's more opportunities for us now. More oppor- yeah, so you, the more opportunities, you can work anywhere globally now. Even if you physically have to be in the office, you, we fly and train everywhere, don't we? Yeah. The, the, most people will have three or four different careers in their life and will job hop every five, every three to five years. Mm. And employers embrace that unlike the diversity in the workforce. Mm, very good. I think that's a good thing to hear as well. So somebody then that is preparing for an interview, because this is your latest book, you know, what is your interview identity? So what do you mean by that, your interview identity? What would my interview identity be, Chris? <laughs> well, you come across very confident, very charismatic, very charming. So you have this two, you have two, two axes on this uh, chart. So you have a level of confidence and a level of perceived set to knowledge and experience. And together that creates one of 16 identities. So as an example, you've got no confidence and no experience for that job role. You're not going to be able to sell even your skills or qualities in that job interview because low self-esteem relates to mumbling answers, short answers. You don't really use power words. If you've got uh, a high level of knowledge and experience, so you've worked in a sector for 10 years, or you've got the highest industry qualifications, but you've got low level of confidence, the employer will know you have all these skills and these experience, the halo effects in place where they kind of want you to do well. Mm. Maybe someone who works for your organization has told the boss how great you are. So they, they, they like crying out for you to be amazing in an interview. But if you've got um, a low level of confidence, you just want to express that experience. You won't talk about the problems you face and the actions you talk and the solutions you put into place. You won't reference in detail the models and theories that are related to that uh, industry or that sector. And because everyone uses a structured job interview where they kind of have a scoring system, if you don't say A, B and C, they, they have to score you low mm. because it's a structured job interview where they have a question, 
example answers and each answer is worth a potential point and you've got to say certain things to kind of get those points compared to someone who's like dead confident but with no experience the employer meets them they go this person seems amazing they're so confident and charismatic and extrovert and you know full of energy and strong handshake and all that sort of stuff but when they get to the interview they, uh, they don't understand the interview questions they've got no experience in there they don't really understand the point of the question or the the answer the employer is looking for so they often start off well but uh, get worse and worse and worse as the interview goes on. And the ideal ones are people who can express them, who can confidently communicate their competencies, so they can express themselves well. And these are what we call the high high. You've got a high level of perceived knowledge and experience and a high level of confidence. You, you have a charismatic or you know, a self-assured um, interview identity. But remember, your interview identity is an interview identity. You might be confident and skilled in the job role in the, once you're working, but in the interview, we have this new identity where, mm. you know, we've got imposter syndrome like we talked about before. Mm. We um, don't believe in ourselves. For some reason, if we're normally extrovert, we become very introvert. You yeah. can be very different because of the environment. So the book's all about helping you to, um, you know, become more confident, more expressive, uh, more of a salesperson in that job interview as well. You, you need to promote yourself in that job interview and maybe it's a part of what we spoke about a while ago as well Chris Chris is going on to pretend to play the role of being confident because you already have the skills that this employer is looking for but you just may not be confident in an interview setting uh, or a meeting new people or speaking about yourself a lot of people are unable to you know say it's like your bio isn't it it's like when somebody else says it, you're like, wow, is that me? You know, so on paper, the interviewee looks brilliant. But when they come across to say it themselves, they have that, oh, God, I can't say that out loud. It sounds, you know, you know, too big for my boots almost. But really what you're doing is just relaying the experience you have, the training you've given being given over the years, the qualifications that you've studied for. And this, you know, you're just stating a fact. But coming across, you know, so how can a person build their confidence then for an interview that they're not a really chatty person? They're not always going around like me, smiling and everything else. They just get their work done and they get paid for it. And that should be enough. But of course, we have to be a little bit charismatic and we have to be a little bit inviting. We have to open our energy a little bit more, Chris. How, what advice would you give to somebody? The three rules uh, for a successful job interview is one, identifying the job criteria so you know what you're going to be talking about because all the questions are based on that uh, criteria. That allows you to kind of plan your answers, create stories, you know, embed into jargon into your answers as well. Number two is, and this is this is the worst thing for English people, is being a self-promoter because English people are very reserved. We don't like to kind of say how great and wonderful we are, but yeah. the interview is the one place where you need to be a promoter. You need to be saying how amazing you are. Give answers that talk about best practice rather than uh, everyday activities. You need to be standing out against the crowd. And then the third one is to communicate with confidence. And as, as an example, Sharon, you're such a confident communicator. So anyone listening to this, what you need to do is watch or listen to some of Sharon's shows. <laughs> But, but actually analyse uh, what she does. So you'll notice that Sharon will sometimes have her uh, volume go up and down when she's talking in one sentence. She'll sometimes start soft and build up or start loud and then go down. When Sharon kind of gave some examples then about emotions, so she talked about being excited. She sounded excited. And when she talked about being scared, she had a bit of emphasis on the, the scared emotion mm. inside her. And that's how you communicate charismatically and confidently you allow the emotions to reference the words you change your tonality your speed your volume you make you make your answers sound musical well thank you chris i am so musical (laughs) (laughs) you gave me such a great start with that bio i need to i need to compliment you now yeah you're very good well you know the amazing thing and i was smiling before we came on because it's a long time since I, I've done a job interview because I've been self-employed for so many years. So I thought, well, how do I really ask Chris about, you know, interview skills when I haven't done it for such a long time? I haven't interviewed anybody. And then somebody said to me, but you're interviewing people all the time, Sharon. I went, oh, yeah. Well, to me, it's a chat. <laughs> well, that, this, this is the problem with job interviews. So everyone fears job interviews or 90% of us do. 
because it's not something we do every single day or every single week. But you do, because a job interview is just talking. Yeah. And a job interview is talking about yourself. So you talk all the time to your children, to your partners, to colleagues, to, uh, you know, business opportunity people as well. You're constantly communicating and you're constantly talking about your own experiences. What I did last weekend, you know, what I'm going, what shopping about. You still talk about your own experiences. You just need to frame that in the job interview about your work experiences, your skills and qualities that are relevant to the job role you're applying for. So we all talk, we all communicate all the time. You just need to make it relevant to that particular situation and actually doing that like going to public speaking and you mentioned Toastmasters mm -hmm. before doing improv classes as well or mock interviews or whatever just getting people to ask you questions especially job related questions will allow you to learn the skill of just answering using a strong structure and communicating like Sharon does with confidence so it's mm -hmm. practice is often key to this yeah and I would say that to everyone as well you know pretend you know it's fake it till you make it sometimes so even if it's just in front of your own mirror every day you know because of course you know and I suffered with anxiety years ago and I understand completely and every time I go to speak to a small group or a big group it doesn't matter I tell them it's the same anxiety I feel whether it's 10 people or a thousand people and I stand there and I say, well, the first thing I'm experiencing as I stand here right now is that old belief, that old anxiety, that fear, what way my body is feeling. But I said, the minute I take the power away from it, I don't feel like that anymore. So sometimes it's saying it out loud. So if you're practicing in front of the mirror and going, oh, yeah, it's all right while I'm in here in the mirror. But when I go and sit in front of a stranger in an interview, it'll be completely different and I would kind of advise them, Chris, to picture themselves sitting across from the interviewer. They may not know what he or she may look like, but to imagine sitting across that there's a stranger there and that, you know, the questions that they may ask or may not ask. But again, having that feeling of confidence and, you know, the mind, I think the body responds to you having done it already. If you believe you've done it already, because the mind will accept whatever you're going to tell it, won't it? Definitely. So one of the one of the biggest barriers is how people perceive the interview. So they go, yeah. I've got a job interview next week, and they imagine themselves in a the job interview, being rubbish, not answering the questions, mumbling the interview, meaning like a cold interviewer being really harsh. So they have this picture in the mind, which is the very same thing that a phobia will do. So if you've got a phobia of spiders, they imagine a big spider. Um, so the picture is always in the front part of your mind. So what I teach clients to do is push that far away so it's in front of you, so you can kind of see the borders of that picture. And it's often a movie, so just turn the movie into a, a still picture and then drain the colour so it's black and white. And I often get to stick into a big frame as well. So mm -hmm. you've got this big picture in front of your face that's like a coloured movie, like very, very vivid. And what you've done now is pushed it away, drained the colour, paused it and stuck it into a frame. And then move the picture further and further and further away. Because the more you move it away, the less associated you feel with it. So the negative emotions will start to disappear such an easy technique that you can do sat in the reception room waiting to go upstairs for your job interview. Very good, Chris. I like that. Tell me now, I know we're nearly at the time, but say somebody is a practice and they're feeling really confident and they practice in the mirror and they practice all those techniques. They know their skills and attributes. They're feeling confident. They're feeling good. They go into the interview and they're so feeling so powerful. <laughs> I'm being the devil's advocate here. And they go in and they just get blank, they go blank. Everything is just gone from them. <laughs> what do you advise them to do? It's like going into an exam and you know everything you've studied for it, you know it inside out, but you look at the exam paper and you're gone and nothing is coming to you. What if that happens in an interview? Fight or flight kicks off because it's your response to your heart rate. So your heart rate when it's nervous and anxious is like really rapid. Your organs start re uh, reacting a different way. So your digestive system starts digesting food. Oxygen is not going to your brain. Your brain is stressed, so it starts to shrink a little bit. This is why we act out of character, which is why we, our, our mind goes blank. When you rest and digest, where you're kind of in your natural walking, waking state, you're just more calm and relaxed anyway. So one is doing like rhythmic breathing before the interview, because that just slows your breathing down and makes you more relaxed. So you, the thoughts pop into your head. But that really isn't answering your question. So in the job interview itself, this is what you can do with questions, by the way, in interviews. You just answer however you want to answer. As long as you're saying the right thing, you'll score high. But in the job interview, if you mind goes blank because we are nervous and anxious in new situations, all you need to do is ask questions. Because when you ask questions, one, 
the employee goes, oh, I've been asked a question. So now I need to think of my answer. And I'm quite anxious because I don't often interview other people as well. Um, so you get a, a bit of a power balance shift. But also while they're answering your question, you can then have time to allow these answers to just to develop in your mind. So as an example, is an interviewer says, tell me a time you've been successful. And you think, oh, my mind's gone blank. Ask them a specific question. So a lot of job interviews uh, questions are generic. So ask something specific. So do you want an example of me being successful in work or would you like an example of me being successful out of work? Mm, very so good. It doesn't matter what they say because they're probably going to say it's up to you or a work one, but it just gives you time to think about the perfect answer to deliver. I know it, it creates a conversation. It's a bit more flowing. The interview is definitely going to remember you because you're the person who asks lots of interesting questions as well mm. throughout the interview. So it kind of works on multiple levels, but allowing yourself time to think because you're not under pressure anymore. It's the pressure that makes our mind go blank. So ask questions, allow, your time, allow yourself time to think uh, and then answer the interview question. Very good, Chris. And again, I think to remember that it is a chat, you know, that there are two people or maybe there's a few interviews, but that you're all human beings and you're all, this is your first experience of each other. So they want to get to know you as much as you want to get to know them and what they're like as employers. And many of the employers, you know, they're looking for the best candidate, you know, and it mightn't just be all your qualifications. It could be down to your experience and your confidence as well, as Chris has said. So go in and try to be your best self. You know, even if you doubt yourself a little bit, that's kind of natural with all of us. But just be your best self and just say, if I only have to pretend to be my best self for this hour or hour and a half I'll do it just for this and then I can be scared shitless again afterwards <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't say that to them of course but <laughs> that's just for us here but just remember as well the inter most interviewers aren't training this stuff HR teams are so you've been recruited by HR team they're skilled normally yeah. most interviewers is just your potential line manager they don't know what, what to do in an interview. They're scared. They're nervous. They're anxious. They're just good at their job role. Like you're good at the job role you're applying for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important to remember as well. Everyone's trying to do their job. They want somebody. Sometimes these line managers or managers that are in the company. It takes so much time for them to interview new people that it takes away from their day. So they want to find the right candidate. They want you to be good. You know, so just go in and be yourself and be really good. So, yes, we're coming up to the time now anyway, and there's so much. Chris, it's been an amazing interview. I wasn't sure because I hadn't met you before, but it's just like I could sit here and chat to you all day. You have a wonderful um, energy. You're very personable, but everything that you've given is so professional, the advice, but very simple as well. It's not, you know highfalutin as my mother would say it's very down to earth it's something that everybody can understand so in your book now your new book so what is your interview identity so that will help people tell you tell me what it'll help people with so it explains the three barriers to uh, being successful in the job interview so your unconscious bias so the interviewer meets you makes an instant millisecond opinion based on any number of factors. It could be your age, your height, your weight mass, your gender, you know, a million different things. Then the next thing is the interview's behavior in the job interview has a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if I don't like you because I'm ages or sexes or whatever is that is, uh, or I do like you, I'll, I'll subtly do things that will make you act in the way I think you're going to act. So if I don't like you, you'll act in a way where I think actually, yeah, they're not suitable for that position. Mm. Loads of people don't understand that. Um, secret part of the interview and then the final thing is when you answer your first interview question or your first two questions the employer makes a, a an identity about you based on that level of knowledge and experience and that level of confidence so it's a bit of a, a snap judgment like they're suitable they're charismatic they're you know they're inexperienced mm. but this creates filters because the mind is lazy we don't want to analyze people for 45 to 60 minutes so basically, I've got a likability thing, a suitability thing. So all your performing answers now are going to go through that filter. And this makes a big difference. It sounds smart, it makes a big difference because most people who are successful in the job interview only have one extra point above the next person who is going to be successful. Mm. So, so imagine a female went for a, a, a genetically speaking masculine role and a, and, a, and a guy goes for that same role. Both suitable, both highly skilled, both highly qualified. 
but the employer has a negative first impression on the female compared to the male? The answer is exactly the same way, using the same words, the same examples, everything. It's most likely that the male in that uh, example will be offered a job because of this unconscious bias and the interview identity. So it's all these hidden things in a job interview that make a difference. And the book tells you about how to come across as more confident, more competent and more, more skilled by uh, the way you answer your interview questions. Very good. Very good. I like that. And uh, what makes a high scoring interview answer? You know, it's so funny because when you said, and it doesn't show my age, but when you said, you know, there's a list of scores now for answers, I was like, what? <laughs> is there really now in all corporate businesses that there is a score for your answer? So the idea behind a job interview is to predict the job performance of each candidate. So there have been loads of research, but it costs organisations millions and millions of pounds. I think it's like 5% of profit goes on to recruitment for big organisations. So there's all this research. And they say the whole thing about having an um, unstructured chat, like an informal job interview, like you used to in the old and older days, is uh, you get a likability factor about a person, but you don't really know how suitable they are compared to the second mm -hmm. candidate because your interview questions are different because it's just, you know, in the moment like we're doing now, where a structured interview with eight to 10 pre-planned questions against the job criteria, and then if you kind of say A, B, and C, you get this score, or A, B, C, and D, you get this score, A, B, C, D, and F, you get mm -hmm. this score, and so on. It's, the research shows it's easier to predict the job performance compared to other candidates and the job role. So that's why the structured job interview is more, in, uh, more suitable and more used these days. But knowing that, we can now plan how to use like descriptive answers, use varied language, use power words, have a structure that uh, explains like the models and theories that uh, relate to the examples that you're going to use. So there's all these techniques to make your answers, one, longer and more descriptive, two, relevant to the job criteria, and then using the confident techniques in the book to become across more confident and charismatic while you communicate. Wow. I'll have to kind of up my game then, Chris, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> For my next interview. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing is, people have a natural thing. So you're naturally are uh, naturally very good or just through life experiences. You're great at talking, you're very relaxed, you've got loads of uh, knowledge. Everything I, I say, you I can see I can see through your facial expressions or because you will have a, a an example of your own. You know what I'm talking about, which shows your knowledge and experience. The same in a job interview. When the employer talks, they just get this idea, don't the, the identity about the person. Oh, they know what I'm talking about. They know what they're talking about. I can see them in my organization. We get them in on day one, explain the policies and procedures. They'll, they'll just do the job compared to someone else who doesn't really, you know, give add-ons when the interviewer is saying something or, you know, give their own experiences. The interviewer is thinking, mm, you know, they, are, they do seem skilled, but would they fit into our organisation? Yeah. It's a big difference that because the, those two people in that, that example could have the same mm. skill set and experiences, but the one who is more expressive is just more likely to come across stronger as a candidate compared to one who's a bit more reserved. And I think it comes back to where we started. It's being joyful. It's going in and being curious and wanting this role and wanting to experience something different, even if it's not your complete skill set, if it's not everything you're qualified for. But there's something about this role, this company that you really are interested in and you're like going... I know what I can give, you know, I have this skill set. I am, you know, I really want to learn more about this. I've read up about you and oh my God, it's so exciting, this company. To me, you're kind of going, Jesus, you have the job, come on. Whereas the other person has all the qualifications, but they're a bit like, yeah, I just want more money. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's like saying, uh, do, I, um, do I book a book of holiday at my hotel? It's a lovely hotel. We have three course meals and a swimming pool. Or saying, do I come to my hotel? It's amazing. We've got this beautiful swimming pool overlooking the beach. Our food is mwah, so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit over the top, but it's that type of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's it. I think exciting. For me, it's the joy, the passion, the purpose, the learning, the curiosity. And again, just knowing maybe where you want to go in your life. You know, and a bit like Manuel, every day I'm learning and I'm learning something new. And I always say that every day is a learning day for all of us. And never take it for granted that you know everything because we don't. There's always a new way to do something, isn't there? Even in our roles, Chris, 
for me, there's a new way to do it. We can keep upskilling and learning different ways to help ourselves and our clients every other day. All the time. Well, the book is based on all the research papers. I've had like hundreds of research papers. Mm-hmm. And I thought I knew everything before I started delving into all this. And yeah. I started reading about pronouns, about you know, power words, about emotion, like just so much. There's always, because I'm very curious and I love I love that I don't know everything because it means I got all this learning coming to me. So be curious, be interested in learning, mm-hmm. be a lifelong learner. It's exciting. Absolutely. Chris Delaney, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thanks, Sean. It's been great. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, amazing. I really enjoyed the chat, Chris. And um, so everybody can find you on. Let me find your website address again. I have so many notes written. I have to look twice now. So it's www.employmentking.co.uk. Yep. And you're on LinkedIn as well, Chris. Yeah, But I think if everyone goes to your website, you have a blog and you have lots of different information and you have lots of little tips as well. What did I see as well? There was so many little things. You have little snippets everywhere of advice, you know, that you've given here, but they're also on your website. And one of the things that really stood out to me, it was like a key to personal life success is making small 1% incremental changes. I think that is so powerful because everyone thinks of the big change. And I always, one of my mottos, Chris, is one step at a time. Yeah, 1% change is to compound. If if we had more time for the interview, I'll tell you about the the guy who took all the British cycling team and turned this cycling team that was uh, the worst in the world to like the best performing gold winning uh, medal cycling team. And he used the compound effect, which is the 1% changes. Wow. So that might be for another chat. Isn't that right, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) Chris, thank you so much again. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with all our listeners. So please do go and check out Chris Delaney, www.employmentking.co.uk or over on LinkedIn. You can contact Chris through his website directly. As we are all now working through Zoom, you're able to work with Chris from anywhere in the world. So don't be shy. If you have any questions or you want to find out more about him, please do look him up and check out his books, Evolve the Mind, Influencing the Interview, and also What is Your Interview Identity? Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sharon. So thank you, everyone, again. I look forward to connecting with you all again next week and bringing you another exciting guest and sharing more of their knowledge and wisdom. Stay well.